the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue our study in the book of 1 Samuel, God's promised judgment on Eli and his wicked sons becomes reality. We'll pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 10. Once again, that's 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 10. First Samuel chapter 4. We're going to come to a conclusion for Eli and his family as far as all the things that God has been saying up to this point in regard to them. I kind of want to go back a little bit. If you weren't here, we covered the letter to Revelation that Jesus wrote to Ephesus, where he said that they had left their first love. Early church pastors, they state that Ephesus listened to the letter. They repented, and they returned to their first love. So here's the question. What would have happened if they didn't? What would that look like? Well, we don't have to wonder because we have our answers in this chapter. Samuel has been a breath of fresh air to the nation of Israel. But the majority of the nation has spiritually deteriorated. God's word's ignored. We've been seeing that. Worship is despised. But the wheels are still turning. Like everything's still happening. Just like with Ephesus, it had been going with them. Religion has replaced relationship. And like the Lord told Ephesus, we're going to see today that the Lord will say, I'll have no part in that. Now, since the Lord wasn't with Israel in this battle, this gumption, this working up the sweat, we got to fight for our lives. That gave the Philistines a serious advantage. They fought like everything depended upon it. And so verse 10 tells us, and the Philistines fought, which actually means they initiated the attack. They said, let's just go for it. And Israel was smitten. They were too busy shouting, I guess. And they fled every man into his tent, and there was a very great slaughter, for there fell of Israel 30,000 footmen. Now that's not just a loss. The phrase that they fled every man to his tent means they fled all the way home. This was an absolute rout. Israel had the ark. God was gone. And putting your confidence into a nicely decorated wooden box is an absurd notion. And it cost Israel everything. Verse 11. And the ark of God was taken, captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, they were slain. So just like God told Eli would happen, his sons would die in the same day. God keeps his promises, even the unpleasant ones. Verse 12. 
And there ran a man of Benjamin out of the army and came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes torn and with earth upon his head. And when he came, lo, Eli, he sat upon a seat by the wayside, by the road that led into Shiloh, watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told it, all the city cried out. Now, when this guy shows up with his clothes ripped and he's got dirt on his head, those are symbols of mourning in the Middle East. When Mordecai, Esther's uncle, found out about the decree of the king that anyone in Persia could kill a Jew, they could kill him on this certain day, he went and sat in ashes and dumped the ashes on his head, put on sackcloth. It's another way that they would mourn. This guy didn't have time to go find any sackcloth, so he just ripped his clothes, and he's chucking dirt on his head any chance he can get as he's coming back to report this awful news. So when they would see him like this, everyone would know that something horrible had happened. Now, why is Eli out by the road instead of at the tabernacle door? Well, it tells us he trembled. He was terrified for the ark. Now, that's interesting to me because God has said some terrifying things to Eli already, hasn't he? I mean, it's not like this is the first bad news Eli's gotten. Man of God came to Eli and said to him, listen, your two sons are going to die on the same day. You're going to be the last old man in your family, and God's going to judge your entire line. And what is Eli doing? Oh, okay, well, whatever the Lord seems good. And then God tells Samuel what he's going to do, and Samuel tells Eli, and Eli goes, well, whatever pleases the Lord. None of these things shook him. None of these things bothered him. And now all of a sudden, even though he's okay with all the judgment God says coming on his kids, the ark now, this has him trembling. Why? Well, that hadn't been part of any message from God. If something happened to the ark, that would spell doom for everything he sought to preserve. That would render the entire usage of the tabernacle impossible. Everything, I mean, his whole life, the life of his family would literally be over. He couldn't keep up the sham and the charade anymore. He couldn't protect his family from anything anymore. And so now, well now, Eli's not so okay with God's judgment anymore. The idea of taking his future in his own hands by not putting God first, well now, it terrified him. And when the entire city started to wail, he doesn't know why yet, that didn't help the situation. Look at verse 14. And when Eli heard the noise of their crying out, it says that he said, what means the noise of this tumult? And the man came in hastily and told Eli. So apparently Eli had some servants around him or something. And what's going on? And so he sends somebody to go find out and they bring this messenger guy. The word tumult means commotion, confusion. People were surely crying. They were probably asking questions. And so when Eli hears the noise, he sends someone to find out what's going on. And the messenger comes in and he tells Eli the bad news. Verse 15, now Eli was 98 years old and his eyes were dim that he could not see. So even as the guy comes walking up, he doesn't see what everyone else sees. He doesn't see the torn clothes and the dirt on the guy's head. He can't see any of these things. And so the man, verse 16, he reports to Eli and he says, I am he that came out of the army and I fled today out of the army. And Eli, I get that. What's going on? What happened? He says, what is there done, my son? And the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines and there has also been a great slaughter amongst the people. And 
Your two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. Now, up to this point, Eli's not freaking out yet. But then he gives one more. And the ark of God is taken, captured. And it came to pass when he made mention of the ark of God, that he, Eli, fell from off the seat backward by the side of the gate, and his neck broke, and he died. For he was an old man and heavy, and he had judged Israel for 40 years. The first news comes in. Israel's fled. This is not an organized retreat. I am not the normal messenger runner. This is an absolute rout. Tons of Israelis have been killed. Your own two sons have been killed. And Eli's just going, okay, I expected this, expected this, expected this. But when the mention of the capture of the ark happens, why did that elicit such a violent reaction from Eli? Well, I think Eli had come to terms with the fact that he couldn't protect his sons from the Lord forever. But even though God told him he would see the diminishing of Israel under his leadership, I don't think he ever conceived that that meant the Philistines would gain the upper hand again. Having the ark in their possession would only embolden the Philistines to bring back the dark days that existed before Samson. Eli's an old man now. What did he do? Samson's dead. Israel wouldn't just be diminished. Without the Lord's protection, if he wasn't in their midst, they'd be wiped out. And I think that's why Eli loses all hope at that point in time. And he just reacts violently and ends up killing him in the process. And so it makes mention here, he had judged Israel for 40 years. It is a mistake to presume that a little compromise will only have small consequences. But that's what Eli clung to every time God corrected him. And 40 years of repeating that mistake ends up taking a big toll. And Eli didn't realize what that toll was until it was too late. 40 years of going through the motions. 40 years of modeling religion over relationship to the nation he led. This was an absolute failure of leadership with devastating spiritual results. Now, sadly, God told Eli that wouldn't be it. He said that this judgment would extend to his entire family. And so in verse 19, we see something horrible happen here. Verse 19 says, And his daughter-in-law, Phineas's wife, she was with child. She was pregnant, near to be delivered. She wasn't to term yet, but she was in that final trimester. And when she heard the tidings that the ark of God was taken and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself. She fell to her knees. I mean, this was just devastating. And the emotional pain that she experienced was so, the stress was so great that it says she travailed. She began to go into labor for her pains came upon her. The phrase pains came upon her, it means her insides started to turn. This caused her to go into premature labor. I'm not a woman, and I'm glad I've never had to give birth. You are heroes, as far as I'm concerned, all right? My wife was in labor with our first child for 32 hours, and that was terrifying for me. First off, because I didn't think I was going to make it out of the room alive. But to watch what she had to go through, that was... 
That's rough stuff. And so not knowing much about this, I thought, well, can stress do that? Can stress cause this? Sure enough, I started reading. That's like one of the top reasons for premature labor is stress. And so this is what happened to her. She is devastated emotionally. And as a result, it causes the body to react in a way that maybe it wouldn't normally or naturally react. And as a result, she goes into premature labor. And this was a horrible day for this to happen to her because the premature birth took her life. Look at verse 20. And about the time of her death, the women that stood by her said unto her, do not be afraid for you have borne a son. But she didn't answer anything, nor did she even regard it. They assumed the cause for her distress was the premature labor, that she was worried about the child. And so the thought was, well, the child's healthy and it's a son. Giving birth to any healthy child, they thought would calm her down. But news that it was a boy was hopefully, you know, would replace the stress with pride and joy. I know I just praised you ladies, but that's not how you were viewed back then as heroes. If you, a birth was coming about, and they didn't have ways to know what it was beforehand back then. It's funny, me and Bev, the first time we said, we don't want to know. We want to be surprised, everything. And then, of course, you get all the very neutral colors and everything for gifts. And we thought, well, now we want to know all the time. But they didn't have any way of knowing that. So when a woman went into labor, everybody got together to celebrate, like maybe you would in your family. But when the nurse came out and said, it's a girl, everyone went home. No lie. Everyone went home. Guys came up to the dad and said, I'm so sorry. Because they knew you're going to have to pay for that woman. You're going to have to get her married off. She's not going to work in the family business. She's going to go work in somebody else's family. And that was the way it worked. When it was a son, they threw a party. So the idea here was, is that, well, you've got a son. You've given birth to a boy. There's going to be a legacy to carry this on. But that didn't cheer her up. That didn't alleviate her stress because the child wasn't the reason for her despair. Look at verse 21. Before she dies, she does name the child and she named the child Ichabod. Ichabod literally means no glory or no ruler, no prince, no glory. Why? Saying the glory is departed from Israel because the ark of God was captured and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, the glory is departed from Israel for the ark of God is taken. So there are two factors here in her thought, no glory, no prince, no ruler. First off, she had been living the high life. Eli was the judge. Her husband was one of the, the high, he was the high priest. He, he's one of the most influential people in all of Israel. But now that's gone. And the ark is gone. There's no worship anymore. Her family has no position anymore. Now, when she also mentions the glory is departed from Israel, certainly that's not just looking at herself. And so that's the second thought, is that the glory of God is gone. In Psalm 26, verse 8, it says something very interesting. Psalm 26, 8, the psalm writer, David, says, Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house. I've loved that place. I love going to the tabernacle. And the place where your King James says honor dwells, but literally it means glory dwells. The tabernacle, the the temple after David, that was the place where God's presence was, his glory was. We call it the Shekinah. That's where his 
glory was. That's what that cloud was that led Israel in the wilderness, and eventually it resided inside the tabernacle. She says, God's gone. It's gone. Why does she say that? Well, when God brought Israel out of Egypt, he promised to have a relationship with them. He made three promises to Israel, to Moses, who gave it to Israel. Number one, I'll bring you out of Egypt with a strong right hand. Number two, I'll bring you into the promised land that I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And number three, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. We'll have this relationship. He promised that to them. Now, while God's presence guided them through the desert, that was not going to work when Israel settled the land. Why? (laughs) Because Israel would be too close. Their sin too apparent. In fact, when they stopped at Mount Sinai and they were going to settle down for a bit, God told Moses, I want you to put police tape all around the mountain where my presence is. Look at Exodus chapter 19 with me. Exodus 19, and we'll just look at verses 9 to 13. If you want more context, read it on your own because it it describes this problem of a holy God and a sinful people being this close in proximity to each other. But it says here in verse 9, And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. And so Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord, because they had said, Lord, we'll do whatever you tell us to do. We'll be your people. We'll follow your commands. If you'll be in our midst. The Lord says, okay, I'll be in your midst. So here's what the Lord says, verse 10. And the Lord said unto Moses, go unto the people and sanctify them, make them holy, set them apart today and tomorrow, let them wash their clothes. They need to get all the junk cleaned up and then be ready on the third day. For the third day, the Lord will come down in the sight of all people upon Mount Sinai. And Moses, here's what you need to do. You need to set bounds unto the people all around the mountain saying, take heed to yourselves, beware that you do not go up into the mount or even touch the border of it, because whoever touches the mount shall surely be put to death. There shall not a hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether it be a beast or a man, it shall not live. And when the trumpet sounds long, they can come close to the mount, but they can't touch it. Otherwise, they'll be crispy crittered. So the idea here is God sets boundaries even when his presence is going to be in their midst this close. Now, that wasn't going to work long-term either. God nearly wiped the nation of Israel out when they worshiped the golden calf. So the Lord gave Moses plans for how his presence could dwell in Israel's midst. And what was the result? The tabernacle, the sacrifices, the priesthood, tons of careful procedures to ensure that a sinful people could be close to a holy God. Now, and by the way, that's why it's so important to read the Old Testament I frequently, when I talk to, to New Testament Christians who have not really been familiar with the Old Testament, they go, well, I just don't understand hell. Like, I think God's being harsh. I'm like, you need to read the Old Testament, bro. It, you'll get a better idea of just how holy the Lord is. We usually only get that feel when you read the book of Revelation again in the New Testament. It's important to understand these truths from the Old Testament. This is all that had to be done so a holy God could be close to a, a sinful people. It's why the cross is so awesome. So, The idea here is, despite all Israel's sin under Eli, God's presence had remained. The tabernacle was still there. The priesthood was still there. Sacrifices were still there. But in 
Eli's daughter-in-law's mind. God's gone now. Priests are dead. The ark is captured. Tabernacle's exposed. Everything God did to make them a special people was gone. Her son, Ichabod, would preside over no one and nothing. He was just another kid who would end up being a slave to the Philistines. Now, if that's horribly depressing to you, that's because it is. But that's the emptiness of religion. She thought she had something before. When the reality is, she already didn't have any of these things. Religion deceives you into thinking you have something you don't. Now, we fast forward to the cross, to the New Testament. And now we have it way better than Israel did. I am not your priest. This is not a temple or a tabernacle. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Jesus lives inside of you. And wherever you are, you can be in his presence. And we don't have to be worried that we're going to be wiped out when we blow it. Amen? We don't have to prepare sacrifices. We don't have to dress a certain way. We don't have to keep God's presence at arm's length. Jesus' sacrifice made it possible for us to enter into the Holy of Holies to be as close to him as possible. And so Hebrews tells us the beauty of this better covenant that we have than the old one. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 23, it says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness, freedom, to enter into the Holy of Holies by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, not the old covenant way, not through the priests and the sacrifices, but through a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh. He has consecrated it for us that we could go inside that veil through his death on the cross. And having a high priest over the house of God, Jesus, because of that, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith because we've had our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let's get as close to the Lord as we can. And also, let us not give up. Let's hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering because he's faithful who promised. That is why Jesus rebuked the church at Ephesus. That's why. He says, I've done all this for you. I'm walking in your midst. Why would you settle for religion when you have me? And so I would say to you, if the Lord isn't your top priority, or if you've been busy being religious, but not drawing near to Jesus, listen, the Lord loves you. And he purchased something way better for you than that. So repent, (laughs) repent and get back to that close relationship with Jesus. Amen. Now, if that's not the case and you say, Pastor, well, Jesus is my first love. I'm I'm right where I need to be. Good. Then stay there. (laughs) Don't leave that. Stay close to Jesus. Like Samuel, have a heart that loves to serve, a heart that is willing to listen. And what will happen is none of this. The Lord will constantly be in your midst. He will not leave you or forsake you. That's his promise. He will not let you go. He will not let you down. He'll be faithful to the very end. Jesus, you are awesome. When we say that you're worthy, we sing it. 
It's because of how awesome you are. Because you've done such awesome things for us. That you have indeed created this new and living way that we can enter into the holiest of all by your death. Lord, thank you for the cross. Thank you for redeeming us by your blood. Thank you for washing us clean. Thank you for giving us your righteousness so we don't need special clothes. We don't have to have special sacrifices. Thank you that what you did on the cross was once for all. And now we can come boldly before your throne of grace to find all the help, grace, and mercy that we need. Lord, you urge us to enter in, not stay away. So Lord, if in any way, Lord, we have replaced that with religion, with a body of ideas or a criteria of rituals, Lord, if we somehow replace our relationship with you with that, Lord, we respond to your warning and we say, we repent. We don't want to do that anymore, Lord. We want to draw near to you. We want to be more in love with you than we've ever been because your love for us never dims. So Lord, I pray for every person who's in the hearing of my voice that you would help them to stay close to you, remind them of your great love, remind them of the awesomeness of this new covenant. So Lord, we be reminded every day to run to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.